dear diary, I am a peaceful man. I made no complaint when I was forced to trudge up an absurdly steep path to the hotel whilst cradling an enormous wooden giraffe that was all legs and neck. But I felt my patience begin to fray when, last night, as I was dictating to Miss Pettigrew, the door to my sitting room burst open. Where is Anne Beddingfeld? Artists Ensemble Theatre presents Mysterious Journey, Theatre for the Mind. From Agatha Christie, this is the final episode of The Man in the Brown Suit, Unmasking the Colonel. My dear Mrs. Blair, calm yourself. How can I? I awoke with the most dreadful feeling that something terrible had happened. I went to check on Anne. She's not in her room. Or perhaps Colonel Race has seen her. I can't find him either. There you go. The pair of them are probably out for a stroll. After midnight? It happens. Perhaps they're in love. Perhaps. Who's in love? Colonel Race, is Anne with you? No. Why? Isn't she in her room? She's vanished. Dear diary... In three minutes, Race had the entire hotel turned upside down and a massive search for Miss Beddingfield was underway. Uncanny business. The girl was observed leaving the hotel, fully dressed, just before eleven. Then she was never seen again. Where the devil is she? By the next day, Race was in a fury over some sort of tracks on the path being obliterated by early morning visitors. Race got terribly excited when rumours surfaced about some man and a girl on an island upriver. Sadly, it was a false alarm. Apparently, the fellows lived there for years. The hotel manager knows him. Not much known about his girl, but it's dicey poking into the love life of a perfect stranger. Sir Eustace, I know you're expected in Johannesburg. You mustn't delay any longer. Mrs. Blair and I will remain here in hopes of news. And you'll notify me immediately if there is any? Of course. Sir Eustace, I wonder if you could do me a tremendous favour. How tremendous? I was hoping I could send some of my souvenirs on with you. Not the animals. No, no, I'm having those crated up and shipped to Cape Town for storage. By the time you get them to England, they'll have cost five pounds apiece. Hush! In the end, I was bullied, in the most charming way possible, into taking charge of two cases for Mrs. Blair. I left on the next train to Johannesburg. Anne Beddingfeld, footsore and bedraggled adventurous here. Harry and I made it across the Zambezi River without encountering any crocodiles, thank heaven, and set out on foot, in the dark, for Livingston. It was daybreak when we stumbled wearily into the small shop owned by a pal of Harry's. Ned, I never did get his name, hid us in the back room, gave us food, hot coffee and blankets to wear while our clothes were laundered. And, once we started bickering, he tactfully withdrew. Anne, I know we said you'd go to Bera. <laughs> you said that. I never intended to go to Bera. Will you listen? There's no point trying to slip away unobserved. My enemies clearly know I'm not dead. They could easily find me. You're right. But you... Oh. You'll be safest with Mrs Blair. I want you out of danger. Where will you be? Johannesburg. I don't want you there. The city is a tinderbox. If we're to part, we ought to set up a code so that neither of us is hoodwinked by a false message. All right. Any message from me will be signed Andy. Mine will be from Charlotte. Harry, the train will be here soon. I presume I'm going to be on it? Yes. Why are Mrs Blair to meet up with you and Kimberly? I see. 
And shall I marry a nice, steady man if I find one? By God, if you even think of marrying anyone but me, I'll wring his neck. Dear diary, Johannesburg is positively boiling with unrest. Upon arrival, I met with some pompous government official whose name I promptly forgot. I must warn you, Sir Eustace, we expect riots to break out at any moment. Dear me. I urge you to consider leaving the city. There are alarming reports of arms and explosives being shipped into the city by a criminal organisation. Why on earth? Regrettably, there is enormous profit to be made by fermenting conflict and supplying arms to both sides. Someone is organising and profiting by this. At this extraordinary statement, the fellow had the impertinence to glare accusingly at me. Me! I felt quite unnerved. Meanwhile, I've had two cables, one from Paget saying he is on his way, and one from Mrs. Blair. Apparently, Anne is perfectly fine and with her. I never really did believe she was dead. That girl is curiously indestructible. Feeling restless, I went out for a stroll. I was peering in at the window of a curio shop when who should emerge but Colonel Race. My dear chap, I'd no idea you were in Johannesburg. When did you arrive? Last night. Well, have you heard the news? Miss Beddingfield is alive and kicking. Oh, what a fright she gave us. Where the devil do you suppose she's been? Apparently, she was on an island the whole time. Not the one with the young man on it. Mm, that's right. How very improper. Paget will be deeply shocked. Who is this fellow, and however did she meet him? I imagine they met aboard ship. You don't mean... The elusive Harry Rayburn. The man in the brown suit. By Jove! Then he's been arrested. No, he gave us a slip, but... We'll get him, sooner or later. Back at my hotel, that officious government chap had tracked me down. Do forgive me for troubling you again, but I have some urgent questions regarding your secretary. I know nothing about him. He foisted himself upon me in London, then disappeared like Houdini once we reached Cape Town. You misunderstand. I am speaking of your other secretary. Paget. Been with me eight years. No, I refer to the lady. Miss Pettigrew? She has been observed coming and going from Agrisotto's curio shop. Place on the corner. What of it? I nearly went in there myself this very day. I strongly advise against that, Sir Eustace. It is a known hub of criminal activity. Now, how is it you came to engage Miss Pettigrew? She was recommended to me by the Ministry. Suzanne and I had a rapturous reunion at Kimberley. Gypsy girl! Oh, Suzanne! We embraced. Then both of us burst into tears. Over many cups of tea, I told Suzanne everything. Oh, but darling, how do you know this young man of yours is telling the truth? Because I do. Just because you're comfortably married. Not that comfortably married. Clarence is furious. He's been firing off cables one after another, ordering me home. Finally, I stopped replying. And now I haven't heard from him in two weeks. Oh, Suzanne, he's not truly angry. Just worried. Clarence adores you. That's true. And if he's stopped, I'll just have to dazzle him all over again. (laughs) That's the spirit. Suzanne, I've been thinking... You were right to be worried about the diamonds. Oh, I'm so glad you said that, because... They should be in a safe deposit box. I haven't got them. What? Darling, I was afraid to keep them with me any longer. So... And then Suzanne looked round as if the walls had ears and whispered in my ear. Really? 
Where are the cases now? The two smallest are with Sir Eustace. The big ones I sent to Cape Town. Guy Paget arranged for storage. He's leaving today to rejoin Sir Eustace. Is he? Then he'll be here in Kimberley. I need a train schedule. Oh, wait, I've got one in my bag. Uh, here. What is it? Paget's train arrives at 5.40 tomorrow afternoon and departs again at 6. Perfect. Tomorrow, Mr. Paget and I are going to have a chat. Later that day, a cable arrived for me from Johannesburg. Arrived safely. Both Race and Eustace here. Take care. Signed, Andy. The next afternoon, I met Guy Paget's train. Good gracious! Miss Bedingfield? I thought you'd disappeared. I have reappeared. How are you, Mr. Paget? Very well. Looking forward to taking up my work again. Mr. Paget, I must ask you something. A great deal depends on your answer. What precisely were you doing in Marlow on January 8th? Really? I... I... Come, come. The truth! I know you were there. I... Yes. For reasons of my own, yes. What reasons? Sir Eustace didn't tell you? Sir Eustace? Does he know? I'm almost certain he does. I don't understand. At first, I thought he didn't see me, but he then kept hinting and making these little jokes about Florence. I know I am in the wrong, but it seemed such a harmless deception. What did? And under the circumstances... What circumstances? But I cannot bear this guilt. I shall come clean and offer my resignation. Mr. Paget, why were you in Marlowe? I beg your pardon, but I fail to see how that concerns you. (laughs) Well, of course, if it's so dreadful that you're ashamed to say... Ashamed? Certainly not! Then tell me! And then he did. Oh, good, you're back. Any luck with Mr. Paget? I... yes, I know the answer. Good. At least I hope it's good. Meanwhile, a second cable arrived for you. Anne, come to Johannesburg at once. Urgent. Signed, Harry. What are you going to do? Some very serious thinking. Dear diary, Paget has arrived. He promptly unpacked all the cases, including the two that belonged to Mrs. Blair. Really, what was he thinking? They were filled with ladies' gloves, ladies' hats, ladies' underthings, and endless rolls of film. I pointed out, quite reasonably, that these were clearly not my belongings. Certainly not. I assumed they belonged to Miss Pettigrew. Don't mention that name. Where the devil did you find that woman? At the Ministry, as you instructed. Did she prove unsatisfactory? She's done a bunk. Apparently under a cloud of suspicion. Outrageous! Have no fear, Sir Eustace. I shall investigate. No, don't do that. But I was too late. Paget dashed off to play detective. That afternoon, he returned with his report. Sir Eustace, extraordinary news. Mr. Rayburn is here. In the hotel? In the city. I spotted him and followed, taking care to remain unobserved. And who do you think he stopped and spoke to? Miss Pettigrew! What? Furthermore... Stop! Go back. What happened to Rayburn? He and Miss Pettigrew entered some sort of curio shop on the corner. Good Lord. I have made inquiries here at the hotel. Sir Eustace, a man was seen coming out of her room last night. And she always seems so respectable. I took the liberty of searching her room and found these. Triumphantly, he held aloft a razor and a tangled mass of hair. What on earth? It's a wig. Miss Pettigrew was, by my deductions, a man in disguise. 
I have already informed the authorities. I ought to have known. Gigantic feet. And now, Sir Eustace, I wish to speak of my private affairs. I've no doubt from your many hints and little jokes that I have been found out. Found out? Are you about to confess what you got up to in Florence? I don't understand. Is that another joke? While I am an amusing fellow, I'm not trying to be funny just now. I had hoped, given the distance, that perhaps you hadn't seen me. Where? At Marlowe. Marlowe? You went to Florence. But I didn't. That's the whole point. What point? I went to Marlowe. Why the devil would you go to Marlowe when I sent you to Florence? To see my wife. What wife? Sir Eustace, I have deceived you. I am a married man. What? You? How long? Eight years. We have four children. Four? I was so eager to obtain the post as your secretary. I knew that travel would be involved and that, for that reason, you intended to hire a bachelor. I never lied directly. I merely neglected to mention a wife. Where have you been keeping her all these years? We have a bungalow at Marlow, quite close to Millhouse. You? You? That's just the sort of guilty secret you would have. A wife and four children. Who else have you told? Only Miss Beddingfeld. I do hope you're not seriously annoyed. My dear fellow, you've blinking well torn it. Seriously disconcerted, I went out to gather my thoughts. As I passed the corner curio shop, I was overcome by an irresistible temptation and went in. That's where I made my mistake, and I thought I was being so clever. Suzanne argued, pleaded, even wept, but in the end, she went along with my plan, and even gave me a parting gift. But if you get yourself killed, I shall never speak to you again! I arrived in Johannesburg the next day. I was met by a driver, who took me to a ramshackle building on the outskirts of the city. Excuse me, what is that sound? Guns. I'm not quite sure where we are. Is Mr. Rayburn inside that building? That's right. I left the car, somewhat doubtfully, and knocked at the door. A huge fellow with a scarred face admitted me without saying a word. I was in a dingy hall. In a room to my left, several menacing fellows were playing cards. They all paused to stare at me. At the end of a hall, I entered a small office. Well, 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 if it isn't Miss Bedenfell come to call. Goodness, I must be seeing double, perhaps triple. Good day, Reverend Chichester, or George the Knight Steward, or do you prefer Miss Pettigrew? I prefer Archie Minx. That was my stage name before I found, shall we say, more lucrative employment. You're very gifted. The manner, posture, voice... A complete transformation. I saw through Herr Kruger, but I never once dreamed you were Pettigrew. Yes, I'm rather proud of her. But we should get down to business. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I never do business with underlings. You'd be wise to alter your tone. Oh, stop wasting my time, Mr Minx. Take me to Sir Eustace. To? Sir Eustace Pedler. Oh, I suppose you address him as the Colonel? I... I... wait here. And with that, he bolted from the room. I powdered my nose and adjusted my hat to a more becoming angle. This way, Miss Bedenfeld. I followed him up a flight of stairs. Enter. Anne, how delightful. Uh, Come in and sit down. Not tired after your journey? Not at all. Good. 
You were quite right to insist on dealing with me. Minx is an idiot. I'm in the room. So you are. Go away and close the door. Now, how long have you known that I was the colonel? Since I learned that Mr. Paget had seen you in Marlowe on a day everyone thought you were in Cannes. Yes, that was unfortunate. He didn't understand, of course. He was so busy fretting over whether I'd recognised him. It never occurred to him to ask what I was doing there. Rotten luck. Oh, too bad. And I'd arranged it all so carefully, too. Sending Paget off to Florence, telling friends I was heading to Nice. By the time the body was found, I was back in my villa at Cannes with no one dreaming I'd ever left. It was you who tried to throw me overboard the Kilmorden. I apologise, my dear child. I rarely do. I always liked you, but you kept interfering. When I saw you leaning at the rail, well, I gave way to impulse. And it was you behind me at the falls. I must say that was clever. I'd have taken my oath that you were still in the hotel when I went out. Yes. Minx not only played Pettigrew, when needed, he played me. So it was him I heard, dictating as Sir Eustace and replying as Pettigrew. Marvellous. Somehow, you even arranged for Mr. Paget to engage her. She met Paget at the door to the Ministry, told him I had phoned ahead, and that she'd been selected for the post. Paget swallowed it like a lamb. I applaud your candour, though it is alarming. What are your plans for me? That is the question, isn't it? The simplest plan, and my own personal preference, involves marriage. What? Did you know that, under the law, wives cannot accuse their husbands? I'd quite enjoy a pretty wife to hold my hand and gaze admiringly at me. My dear girl, don't look at me like that. You frighten me. I can see my plan does not meet with your approval. It does not. Pity. I suppose there's someone else. There is. I was afraid of that. For a time, I thought it was that long-legged ass race. But I expect it's the young hero who fished you out of the falls. Such a shame that the idea of being Lady Peddler doesn't appeal to you. I've grown quite fond of you, and I hate the thought of going to extremes. As do I, I assure you. Suppose you tell me the whole story from the very beginning. The truth, mind you. I shall know at once if you stray. So I told him my story, omitting nothing up to the moment of my rescue by Harry. When I'd finished, he nodded in approval. My dear, you're marvellous. Plucky, clever, and astoundingly lucky. Of course, you'd never have gotten anywhere if I hadn't bungled it. Oh, yes, I admit it. The one time I broke my own rule and involved myself directly, and I was seen by that idiot Paget. Where are the diamonds now? Harry Rayburn has them. I see. Fortunately, he should be here any minute. You see, he also received a cable from you, and is, no doubt, hastening to your side. Ah, love. Yes, send Mr. Minx to my office. You won't get away with it. Try not to speak in clichés. Here is my offer. The diamonds in exchange for your life. And make no mistake, your life is absolutely in my power. And Harry? I'm far too sentimental. It's a flaw. Fine, you shall both go free. What guarantee have I that you will keep your bargain? None whatsoever. You wanted to see me? Yes, we're expecting another guest. A friend of yours, I understand. Of mine? Mr. Rayburn. I believe you had a cosy chat with him just yesterday. No. I mean, he was snooping, asking questions, but I fed him a pack of lies. Did you indeed? Bring him up when he arrives. Sir Eustace, may I ask a few questions? Certainly. I must compliment your nerve. Most girls would be sniffling. I'm saving that. Why did you take Harry on as your secretary? Well, I wanted those blasted diamonds. 
Nadina was playing off your Harry against me, baiting us both to see who'd come up with the highest offer. That was another mistake I made. I thought she'd have them with her. You know, her husband died that same day. Not by my hand, I assure you. So there I was, with no clue where the diamonds were hidden. Then Rayburn turned up, desperate to get aboard the Kilmorden. I speculated that he, too, was after those cursed stones. Mr. Minx intercepted Rayburn one night, apparently headed for your cabin. As you know, Minx bungled it. But you puzzled me. I couldn't decide if you were an innocent or playing your own game. Anne! Mr. Rayburn, welcome. So kind of you to join us. Colonel, we nabbed this bloke just outside. How dare you, sir? I work for... Sir Eustace? Mr. Paget! What the devil are you doing here? Following Mr. Rayburn, I was endeavouring to... Paget, you've got to rid yourself of this delusion that you are a detective. I beg your pardon, Sir Eustace, but the Cape Town police chief himself said that my assistance was invaluable. Trust Paget to transform drama into farce. He launched into a tedious story about the Cape Town police interviewing some steward who confessed to dropping a roll of film through a portal in the middle of the night. Paget is a bad storyteller. It took me several minutes to untangle his tale. Meanwhile, the young lovers stood like statues. So you see, Sir Eustace, without Enough. me... Enough! Minx, escort Paget to a room where he can ponder his many and varied mistakes. No, Paget, not a word. I'll attend to you later. And close the door. Anne, dear, I'm quite vexed with you. You weren't entirely truthful. You said that Rayburn had the diamonds. I do. No, I do. They've been in my possession ever since I left the falls. You know. I do now. Trust Paget to give the show away. Yes, sir. Uh, did you fetch my things from the hotel? Just like you said. Bring me the small square case. Right. A local official has urged me to depart Johannesburg due to the threat of civil unrest. I leave tonight, right after I deal with... Well, you. Thus, I sent for my bags. This the one you wanted? Yes, thank you. That will be all. Mrs. Blair is such an avid photographer. There are a great many. Ah, intriguing. One tin of film is heavier than the others. And if one shakes it, even more intriguing. It's been sealed. I shall need a tool to pry it open. Sir Eustace. Mr. Rayburn, you are really dreadfully unlucky. This is, let me see... Yes, our third encounter. So it is. They do say third time's the charm. Now, Anne. In a flash, I whipped out my pistol and pointed it at Sir Eustace. If he tries anything, pull the trigger. Don't hesitate. I shan't. I'm rather afraid of pulling it by accident. Where the devil did that pistol come from? The top of my stocking. I was terrified I'd shoot myself in the leg. Your men searched me, but they never considered Anne to be a threat. Now talk, you damned scoundrel, before I throw you out the window. No need for violence. Really, you ought to think these things through. This building is full of my men. You're quite outnumbered. Do you think so? Hear that sound? What is it? Colonel Race and his people breaking down the door. I knew that the cable from Harry was a fake. I came anyway, after I had wired both Harry and Colonel Race. Suzanne insisted I take her pistol. When I was summoned here, Colonel Race and his men followed. What was that? They're shelling this part of town. We've got to get out of here. Harry, the house next door is on fire. You're clever, Rayburn. But if I've lost a gamble, so have you. You'll never pin Nadina's murder on me. There's no proof I even knew the woman. But you knew her. You had motive, and you've a record. You're a thief. Everyone knows it. Oh, one more thing. 
I've got your precious diamond. Before anyone could move, Sir Eustace hurled the film canister out the window and into the blazing inferno outside. Peddler, you're under arrest. Dear me, everyone seems to have gone mad. These two people have been holding me at gunpoint, accusing me of, well, I hardly know what it all means. It means that you're the colonel. It means that on January 8th, you are not at Cannes, but at Marlowe. It means you murdered Nadina at Millhouse. Indeed. And from whom did you get all this fascinating information? From Rayburn? He's wanted for murder. I doubt his evidence will stand. We have a second witness. Come in, Mr. Minx. I spoke with Nadina the night before she was killed. I warned her, but she didn't listen. Yesterday, Mr. Rabin caught up with me in the street and persuaded me to act as a witness for the Crown. I see. The rat leaves the sinking ship. I detest vermin. Before we part, Sir Eustace, I must tell you, that tin you threw out the window contained pebbles. Suzanne packed the real diamonds in cotton, hollowed out the belly of my big wooden giraffe, and stuffed them inside. I always hated that blinking giraffe. The fire is spreading. This house will go next. Everyone, clear out. Farewell, Anne. Or should I say, Lady Erdsley? What? Anne. No time. Move. In the chaos, Harry and I were cut off from Race and his men. I'll see her safe. Good luck. Paget was hustled away. Sir Eustace was driven off under guard. Come on. Where are we going? To steal a motor car. Harry drove like a madman until we were clear of Johannesburg. I could still hear distant gunfire when we pulled off the road. Anne. You'll be cleared of all charges now, able to use your real name again. Are you Tom Lucas? No. Lucas was killed in the war. My name is John Erdsley. How? We swapped identification discs. For luck. My best friend was blown to pieces the next day. Does Colonel Race know? Yes. We met once when I was a boy. Anne, say you forgive me. No wonder Nadine expected you to ransom the diamonds. You're wealthy. Why didn't you tell me? I... I hated that life. I wanted you to care for me, Harry... The fellow who lives on the island and takes out visitors on his boat. You know I did. I do! Prove it. Anne, come away with me. Now. Tonight. Back to the island. We'll be married there. Let's race. Have the money. Let's go right now. I don't have a toothbrush. I'll buy you one. I know I'm acting like a lunatic, but I do love you so. We're both lunatics, Harry, and even though you skipped the proposal... Couldn't chance you saying no. Yes, you idiot! Yes! That was two years ago. We still live on the island. Suzanne wrote to me shortly after we eloped. Dear lunatics in love, trust you to vanish into the blue to be married by a campfire in proper gypsy fashion. I wasn't really surprised when you wrote to tell me. But this idea of renouncing a fortune is absurd. Colonel Race has agreed to administer the estate on Harry's behalf. And if one day you begin to dream of a grand house and Paris frocks... Oh, stop laughing. I can tell you are, even from thousands of miles away. Bless you. Darling gypsy girl, your loving friend, Suzanne. There is another letter that I kept, sent from somewhere in Bolivia. My dear Anne, I suppose you are Lady Eardsley by now. Still, I can't resist writing. Not for the pleasure it gives me, but for the enormous pleasure I know it will give you to hear from me. I enclose my diary. There's nothing incriminating in it, but I fancy there are passages which may amuse you. As I'm sure you know, I was in custody less than 24 hours before I escaped. I bear you no malice, you know. It is hard, of course, to have to begin again at my time of life, but I had some fun set aside for such a contingency. 
and putting together a thriving little business. By the way, if you ever come across Archie Minx, the actor, do tell him that I haven't forgotten him. That will give him a nasty jar. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Paget recently welcomed another child. England will soon be overrun by Pagets. I sent the baby a silver rattle. Can't you just see Paget solemnly handing over the rattle to Scotland Yard? Yours affectionately, Sir Eustace Pettler. My baby is lying in the sun, wearing just a nappy, kicking his legs. Brown as a berry. There's a man in a brown suit for you. Nothing makes him happier than digging in the dirt. Perhaps he takes after Papa. Suzanne sent a cable when he was born. Gypsy girl, congratulations and much love to the latest arrival on Lunatic Island. Tell me, is his head dolicocephalic or brachycephalic? I fired off a reply. Platycephalic, of course. The Man in the Brown Suit was adapted from Agatha Christie's novel. Sarah Waddle played Anne. Others in the cast include Ian Garthwaite, Stephen F. Vertle, Russell Constance, Philip Masterton, Margaret Rayther, and David A. Gingrich. When stages around the world went dark, Artists Ensemble Theatre began producing Theatre for the Mind. If you can, please consider donating to AET or become a patron by pledging monthly. Learn more at artistsensemble.org. And as always, thank you for listening.